expressed on this broadcast of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger do not necessarily reflect those of Take 12 Radio, KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, or our affiliates. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Alan Berger and the Monty Man. And greetings, friends. I am the Monty Man. Welcome to the world's oldest and first faith-based 12-step recovery radio station broadcasting 24-7 available to you. Recovery talk and positive music. And this particular show, this fine show, if I do say so myself, step-by-step towards emotional sobriety with our friend, Dr. Alan Berger. Hello, Dr. Berger. Well, hello, Monty, and good evening. How you doing, man? I mean, I was thinking about you today. I mean, you know, I, w- I, w- I was talking to our friend Dan Griffin, and I was talking to to to, uh, to Ben Levinson, and, and these guys are bouncing off the wall. Are, 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 are you bouncing off the wall, too? Is this the time of year where you're all over the place? The I was bouncing off the tennis court this morning. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, there is no lack of work uh, when it comes to this whole issue of recovering from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, is there? There's no question about that. So what are we doing th- this week? Well, last time we explored Virginia Satir, yes. this famous family therapist, and, and explored a lot of her concepts and ideas about holding on to yourself. And, and this week we're going to be focusing on another master clinician, Dr. Nathaniel Brandon. And Dr. Brandon is probably, um, he's in poor health right now, and let, let our prayers go out to him and our thoughts go out to him as is hopefully that, that he recovers. But he, I would say, is the foremost authority in the United States and probably in the world on self-esteem. Oh, wow. He has devoted his entire career on looking at self-esteem, on defining it, what is this thing that we call self-esteem, and even more important than the definition of it, on really trying to help people raise their self-esteem try to help people build a better self-concept and self-esteem. So he's he's an amazing man. I met him many, many times. The first time I heard him speak was at a men's conference down in Texas, and he was phenomenal. And after I heard him, I became a big fan of his. And one of my close friends and colleagues is Roger Andes. And Roger Andes, in fact, moved out to California to train with Dr. Brandon, and uh, and learn his way of helping people address their self-esteem issues. Wow. So this guy that we're going to be talking about tonight is just a leader in his field. And one of the things that when people think about what I'm doing in recovery is I am trying to build this bridge, Monty, between us in the recovery community and those in the mental health community. Because throughout my recovery, going to therapy and learning from these people like Nathaniel Brandon, Virginia Satir, um, I had an honor that Virginia Satir sat in on a, on a presentation I did in Washington and commented on it. She was the discussant. So 
so I got to meet her in her career, and I've spent some time with Dr. Brandon. Well, these folks have really, you know, brought to our awareness a lot of just incredibly powerful ideas on, you know, how to be, how to increase our self-esteem, how to address the challenges we face in life, and, and you know, consistent with this whole issue on emotional sobriety is how to hold on to ourselves. And today we're going to be talking about how Dr. Brandon's ideas, you know, fit very much in everything that we've discussed so far. Um, I, 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 I just I couldn't help it, but I, I, I forgive me, but I had to I had to look him up here, and he says he defines self-esteem formally as the disposition to experience oneself as competent to cope with the basic challenges of life and as worthy of happiness. Yeah. See, and this is, was his major contribution. Is he really saw self-esteem as comprising these two, opponent, these two components. I call them, just to abbreviate them, yeah. self-confidence, that's our ability to cope with life, and self-worth. So self-esteem equals self-confidence and plus self-worth. Another definition he had of it, which I even like more, is he said self-esteem is the reputation we have with ourselves. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, now think that is about that. really what was your, good. All right, here's a, the, the big question tonight, Monty. What was your reputation with yourself like before your recovery and now? Oh, oh, my reputation with myself was pretty doggone poor. Yes, it, I I felt like the bottom of the of the scum pit. Yeah, um, and it wasn't you know just because I got sober and put down the bottle that didn't change right away, my friend. Right. Yeah, but I got to tell you, in comparison today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today, I, I like, uh, and you, you're going to know who this guy is. I can't remember his name for, for crying out loud, but he's one of the the positive thinker guys. Uh, uh, let me see here. Uh, I, I it's something like I I like myself. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and people like me. <laughs> Small. Smalley. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I've said that. I've said that in twelve step meetings, and people look at me like I've come off the turnip truck. <laughs> But, you know, it's true. I am good enough and smart. For today, what I need today, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people do like me. Thank God for that. Well, you know, the way I would describe how my reputation with myself changed is that before recovery is I couldn't count on myself. Oh, boy, yeah. I, I, I just could not depend on myself. I couldn't depend on myself to show up for myself, to take care of myself, to protect myself. I couldn't count on myself to operate with integrity. Um, I wasn't trustworthy, so uh, my reputation with myself was terrible in that way. I had a lot of shame about who I was. So my reputation with myself, as you said, was really poor. Now, today, my self-esteem has just improved so much, and my reputation with myself is overall on most days, very, very good. Now, of course, I have my bad days like anybody has their bad days, but, you know, I can say today I haven't lied to anybody. Today I've kept my integrity. Today I've been authentic. Today I've shown up and tried to make a difference in this world. 
I couldn't say that on the average day before I came in the program. Yeah, you me either. And, and I, I let me put a spiritual spin on this because I think this is so important. Uh, you know, it really, now that I know better, now that I've done better, um, when I walk through my day insulting myself and throwing myself under the bus. It's it's really like slapping God in the face, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah. He doesn't look at me that way. Yeah. You know, and, and 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 we're trying to develop this this relationship with our Creator and, and become more spiritual in, in our walk. And boy, I tell you, when we beat ourselves up, there's nothing wrong with self appraisement, but when we beat ourselves up, uh. It's like I could just hear God saying, "What are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. And, and what Doctor Brandon would say is that the self acceptance becomes such an important component because later on in his career, he summarized um, what he understood about self esteem in seeing that those people that operated with high self esteem had six characteristics, six things that they seemed to do uh, more than not. And those things were like living life with uh, a consciousness, meaning that they were paying attention to what they were doing, and they had a psychological curiosity about, hey, how come I reacted this way? What's going on? You know, how could I do this better? So that there was this psychological mindedness, this consciousness that they had. Well, the second thing that they had is they took complete responsibility for their life. Mm. They took responsibility for the level of self-esteem they operated from. They took responsibility for the choices and decisions and for the values they accepted and operated from in their life. So they took total responsibility for their existence and the fact that they create their existence. That doesn't mean they're in control of their life all the time, but they right. are in control of their response to what happens to them. Yes. So they have this high degree of, of self-responsibility. Well, the third characteristic on his list was self-acceptance, that they accept themselves as they are at this point in time. And he said, and this doesn't mean that these folks don't want to grow and continue to become the best possible self they can be, mm. but they accept that who they are and that this is where they're starting from. So, so it, it isn't that they they uh, uh, are satisfied necessarily with where they are, That's but they right. It's they just accept. they're accepting that hey, yeah. this is this is who I am. It's like when we accepted what that I am powerless and my life has become unmanageable. Nothing can change without acceptance. And what freedom that brings, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really difficult to get there, man. It takes oh, yeah. all of a lot of work to get to that level of acceptance and to own what's going on. Now, his fourth pillar, since we're doing this so that listeners out there don't go, all right, you only talked about three of them, Dr. Yeah, I'm writing this, I'm writing, I'm writing this so down, the, so, okay. So the fourth one has to do with being appropriately self-assertive. That in situations where you feel like, you know, somehow somebody's crossing a boundary with you or you're being taken advantage of or you don't like what's going on, you're able to speak up and take care of yourself. That you don't throw your, you don't erase yourself. You don't say I shouldn't do that because it's going to make somebody else uncomfortable. You don't avoid confrontation. 
but you do it in an assertive way, which means you respect yourself and you respect the other person. So that versus aggressively. Yes, yeah. that's right. There's a big, big difference. And then his fifth thing was living life with a purpose. Is that those people with high self-esteem are serving some kind of a greater purpose in their life. And, mm. you know, one of the things that I do when I talk about the therapeutic value of the 12 steps is I really believe the 12 steps help us live by these six uh, pillars of self-esteem that Dr. Bannon talked about. Let's just mention this last pillar. The sixth pillar is living life with integrity, which means, it, and that doesn't mean it's not a moral issue. It means that you are operating from a wholeness, from respecting all of yourself and respecting that you're an evolving individual and so are other people. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, that, that Dr. Brandon has brought to us and shared with us. So it's really great stuff, Monty. And I, let, let me segue into how this relates to this whole issue of emotional sobriety. So this is what he says about what low, low self-esteem does. Low self-esteem causes an excessive preoccupation with, the gain, with gaining the approval and avoiding the disapproval of others. Okay, hold on. I, I want to write that down. Low self-esteem okay. causes... Causes an excessive preoccupation with gaining the approval and avoiding the disapproval of others. <clears throat> Hungering for validation and support at every turn of our existence. So we hunger for validation and support at every turn of our existence because of our low self-esteem. So we're preoccupied with getting approval and avoiding disapproval, and we are hungering for validation and support. Now, remember what we talked about in terms of Bill's letter. Bill said that what he did is that he relied on other people for top approval, Mm-hmm. perfect security, and perfect romance. And that things had to be this way for him to be okay. Well, it's the same thing that Dr. Brandon's talking about. His bill was preoccupied with gaining the approval of other people, avoiding their disapproval, and looking for validation and support at every turn of his existence. And what drove that, what we've been talking about that drives that, is emotional dependency. You cannot have emotional dependency without having low self-esteem. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. Your esteem can't it can't be very high if if you're mostly dependent on on what other people think about you. You got it. Um, yeah, you got it. See, yeah. so that that just totally fits with what we've been discussing. In fact, one of the things he says, he says, if I don't believe, if I don't feel and believe that I am lovable then it is very difficult to believe that anyone else loves me. So when you work with, with other people, do you hear them say, I mean, they, do they shake the, nod their head yes in agreement that they are mostly dependent, but then turn around and say, but I do have high self-esteem. Do they contradict well, themselves? Well, it's a hard thing for people to admit, Monty. I, yeah. I think that's the question that you're going to is, is yeah. how easy is it for someone to see how emotionally dependent they are, and it's not, because 
in our society, there's a big stigma associated, especially for men, in, in being dependent. Right. And it's even, you know, becoming so for women. I mean, now the modern woman is considered someone that needs to be independent, right? Right. And not dependent on a man. I mean, so when I grew up, being dependent on a man was what women were supposed to do. And now that's becoming, you know, taboo. It's interesting because we've we've really twisted some things around. Uh, you know, I can I can tell you that there's more than more than three to four times uh, in a month I will hear uh, a discussion about you know women being submissive, and uh, you know that's just one example. I mean that whole thing uh, submitting it simply means it literally is to fall under the protective covering of, not to become a slave to. And uh, we've just really screwed that up. I mean, we we've we we have instilled uh, for years in our kids, and they've grown up to become adults, and instill in their kids that by God, you you are going to be de- not only submissive to me, but you're going to be dependent upon me. And so, what happens when Dad dies at an early age, um, or when Mom? Goes back out and relapses, and the and the kids have been totally dependent on mom. It's a mess, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. It's a total mess. And see, with this thing about if I don't feel lovable, then it's very difficult to believe that anyone love, else loves me. See, what we do with that is mm-hmm. now we have all of these demands and claims on other people making us feel lovable. See, this was the important thing that Bill realized, is that his emotional dependency meant a demand for the possession and control of others. Right. And so when I don't feel lovable, then I am going to behave in a way to try to manipulate you into doing for me what I can't do for myself. I'm going to try to manipulate you to make me feel lovable. And I'm going to do it a couple different ways. Either I'm going to t- say directly that these are the rules I have, that if you love me, you have to treat me in such and such a way, and I'm going to make those demands. Or I'm going to try to be lovable by erasing myself in trying to be a people pleaser and to just do everything that you'd like me to do so that you love me. Wow. Wow. You know, uh, Dan Griffin and I were talking this afternoon, and this just lines up. We were talking about men and trauma. And uh, you you have people in in treatment that will do that exactly what you're talking about. They'll either they'll either become compliant to soothe you or you know the the clinician, so they don't get booted, but inside they're raging, or they rage and they get booted. Yeah, and, and it's all based on. I I need to act a certain way so you'll be okay with me, so I'll be okay with me. Well, yeah, you see, it's an interesting it, thing it's, to say. It's see, the way I would probably interpret, they, interpret that is that when men throw away themselves and erase themselves, see, uh-huh. we act like women are the only people pleasers, and that's far from true. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, This is just as a gender, this is not a gender-specific behavior. Men people please and women people please. You know, men may do it in a different way than women do it. There may be some gender influences that way, but people-pleasing means erasing yourself 
So in that way, it's the same thing. Now, do certain men move against people to take control and to prove that they are okay by having power over? Yes, women do that as well. So the things that we're talking about are not specific to men and women. They are specific to trying to deal with the anxiety of not feeling lovable and trying to figure out how can I get this love that I need. So it's what we're trying to do, Monty, is we're all trying to find a way to deal with our anxiety. But see, if I haven't learned how to love myself, if I don't know how to validate myself, if I don't know how to support myself and hold on to myself, then I'm going to be very dependent on you for my emotional well-being. And see, this is the big problem. You know, I know, you know, I love Dan and his work, and he's all into this trauma thing. But I've got to tell you, what we've done our, early on in life by abandoning ourselves is a bigger trauma than any other trauma you're going to experience in life. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. You I'm bet. telling you that if, if people really want to start helping people, they are going to focus on helping people hold on to themselves. If people are traumatized... They, they, and they know how to hold on to themselves, then it, it mitigates, it lessens the, the uh, deleterious effect of the trauma. See, not everybody that's traumatized responds in the same way. Right. There's, there's people that are quite resilient to trauma. So when you think about, well, what is the filtering mechanism? That's why I'm not a big, big trauma guy. I mean, I deal with people's trauma all the time. But I don't think that that's the thing to focus on in treatment. You follow me? Yes, I, I think I do. we've got to treat the whole person. I think we've got to help people deal with their addiction. And a lot of people say, well, you've got to deal with the trauma before you deal with their addiction. Sometimes maybe, but more often than not, people need a strong foundation in their recovery. Yeah, and then they yeah. need to deal with their trauma. Well, and and, the, and it, the, fact, the fact is, is life is traumatic. And that, that's so true. <laughs> you're, you're, you're probably more, you know, most people are going to go through some kind of traumatic event that is going to shake their world at least once in their life. At least once in their life. Whether it be the loss of a loved one, a, 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 an aggressive surgery, whatever it may be. So the sooner that we can help right. people to to learn this stuff, the the more successfully they're going to There's be able no to, question about it, Monty. to ride through Let that. Let me just say this, and I'll get off my soapbox on this. Yeah. It concerns me because cause there are people in the field right now, and, and there's many of them that are proponents of if you treat the trauma, you've treated the addiction. Mm. Yeah. And it's a dangerous thought process, man. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's a very, very dangerous. If you address your trauma, that doesn't mean that your addiction is now resolved. No, you're right. It's not. It's a separate issue. Yeah. Addiction yeah. is a primary problem that needs to be dealt with in and of itself and doesn't help in terms of dealing with your addiction to deal with some of the pain and some of the hurts and some of the trauma you've had. Of course it does. And I did very early on in my recovery, and it's one of the reasons why I have stable recovery today. But I don't want any of our listeners to ever think that if you address trauma, that you've taken care of your disease. That's something that really needs to come after after the, the this process or 
Well, or during the early parts of it. For me, it happened very early on. Yeah, yeah. I thank God for that. But see, because, see, what we're talking about with emotional sobriety is self-regulation. And does self-regulation get messed up if you're traumatized? Of course it does. But your emotional dependency dysregulates you as much, if not more, than any trauma does. And that's what we're trying to tell people, is yeah. that if they can get a handle on this emotional sobriety issue, they are going to learn how to regulate themselves and manage their emotions much better. And when we learn how to do that, we quit trying to manage and control everybody else. Sure. And that's the sure. bottom line. So we can take a break and then we'll come back. Makes sense. All right, folks, don't go away. More with Dr. Allen Berger and talking about self-esteem. Do you got any? Are you lacking? We'll be right back. Hey, greetings, recovery family. It's me, the Monty Man. Because of the generous folks at Potomatic, Take 12 Recovery Radio is now able to reach literally thousands of people seeking recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. Addiction is the number one health crisis in our world today, and recovery from active addiction gets the least amount of attention due to stigma. Now, with the help of Potomatic, we are able to break that stigma and focus on the solution that is recovery more effectively than ever before. So, from all of us here at KHLT and the Take 12 Recovery Radio Shows, we give a hearty thank you to the staff at Potomatic. To subscribe free to our podcast, visit us at www.take12recoveryradio.podomatic. Dot com. That's take the number 12 recovery radio dot P-O-D-O-M-A-T-I-C dot com. Thank you, Potomatic, and God bless you. To join the world's largest directory of independent podcasters, visit www.potomatic.com. Well, we've been talking uh, this week about self-esteem, talking about Dr. Nathaniel Brandon and uh I, I want you to know, listeners, that uh, Dr. Berger's uh, website is abphd.com and his email is abphd at msn.com. And you can see those links if if you're on the website now. You can obviously see those links. If you're on your smartphone, uh, please make a note of that. But Dr. Nathaniel Brandon um, has been uh, – he has been labeled the father of the self-esteem movement. Uh, and it, it sounds like he has tremendous insight, and I'm sure it's a lot of it has to do with personal experience. Yeah, it, it, let, let me give you another quote of his, and then we'll see more how this relates to yeah. the whole topic of emotional sobriety and emotional dependency. He goes, in my emotional impoverishment, I tend to see other people essentially as sources of approval or disapproval. Hmm. I do not appreciate these people for who they are in their own right, I see only what they can or cannot do for me. So this goes to what happens to when our self-esteem is low to our relationships with other people. See, at that point, once we have, once we are depending on others for our self-esteem, then we're relating to them as sources of that approval or disapproval. We aren't seeing them for who they are in their own right. In fact, one of the things that we're going to talk about at some point, we're going to go into Dr. Kemp, my mentor, 
And he used to say, in order to be more personal in a relationship, you have to quit taking things so personally. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you saying, and, and a lot of, that's funny. Well, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, if you're always focused on your self-esteem, that's pretty selfish." But it sounds to me like not having any self-esteem can cause you to become very selfish. Oh boy, Monty, you're very sharp, man. I always say that we become more selfish when we don't have any self-esteem. Yeah, the selfishness is an attempt. To, to meet our needs in a very, very skewed way, then only one part of ourself gets considered. And when we're really operating from integrity, which means wholeness, then not only do we consider our needs, but we consider the needs of others. See, we're balanced. And that's what this emotional sobriety is all about. It's about being balanced with ourself, in our relationship with ourselves. It's about being balanced in our relationship with others, and it's being balanced in our relationship with our higher power. Yeah, wow. So, so it, it's 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 amazing. So so it's so. I mean, his insight, Brandon's insight into this is so powerful because he really captures the dynamic here. Is that because of my low self esteem, I cannot see you for who you really are. I miss you. I don't really I don't really take you in and because of that we can't have any real true intimacy because when a relationship is based on trying to get validation from each other then what we're doing is is we're together for the wrong reason you see marriage is not a mutual validation society right? <laughs> it's not that's not what it's about it's to enjoy the other person and to encourage them to be who they are, and to follow their own dreams. That's what marriage is really about. It's for the enjoyment of the other and to learn how to hold on to yourself. Sure. Because relationships are people growers. So it's so brilliant that he captures this. So he has this other saying, and I love this one. He goes, our vision of romantic relationships is not the problem. That whole idea of what we think a relationship could be like, I mean, here is the quote he has. He goes, this is one of the reasons why attempts at relationships so often fail. He goes, not because the vision of a passionate or romantic love is intrinsically irrational, but because the self-esteem needed to support that romantic and passionate relationship is absent. So when I am dependent on you, we cannot enjoy each other and and realize the wonderful possibilities and gifts that a relationship can bring us because what we're trying to do is wring out of the other person that support that we're not giving ourselves. Oh boy, we that that is saying it lightly. We're we're, we're strangling it out of them. We really are, man. We are yeah. wringing it out of them. Sometimes we actually wring it out of their necks. I mean, literally. I mean, because this stuff, when you don't give me what I think that I should get, I mean, some some men and even some women become incredibly tyrannical. They become despots, and they start to be bullies, and they really try to demand that kind of, of love and respect, you know, because what that for them, it means that if you don't treat me a certain way, I'm not lovable. You're, you're not loving me. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, what's the other side of this whole thing? Because I want to, you know, we're talking about the problem here, and I don't want to just leave people with, oh, my God, I've got sure. self-esteem, you know, I suck, now what, you know, kind of a thing. Well, what we're talking about is how to raise the self-esteem. And the theme that is going to be going from week to week, from program to program, is that you raise your self-esteem by staying connected, especially when there's trouble, and adding more of yourself. Now, what does it mean to add more of yourself? Well, it means you have to keep your sense of your autonomy. And what is autonomy? Well, Dr. Brandon defines autonomy as consisting of living by one's own mind. You see, when I'm autonomous in my relationship, I don't lose myself in you. I don't get lost in the connection. I keep a sense of what's important to me. Yes, and at the same time, I can be aware of what's important to you, but I don't make what's important to you more important than what's important to me. That's a lot of importance. Should I do that again? Okay, okay. So... Now, th- this is going to fly in the face of some folks, and, and I and I want to talk about this. I don't make what's important to you more important than what's important to me. Yes. Um, is there never a time, though, or is there, excuse me, ever a time when what's important to the other person, especially if it, if it's your mate or your best friend or you know somebody that's close to you? Um, really needs to take first step, first base before your own? Is there ever a time for that? Yeah, yeah, you can make that decision, but it needs to be a decision. It can't be reflexive. It can't just be a habit and of you making other people more important. If you listen to the other person and what's going on with them, then you weigh what's important to you, and you say, you know, in this case, I'm going to set aside what's important to me, and I'm going to go ahead and meet this person's need or cooperate with their wish. I see. That's a very mature thing to do. Okay. That, that makes sense. That's a totally mature, but people don't do it that way. They just do it because, oh, I'm afraid you're not going to love me if I don't do it. Yeah. But what I want people to do is I want you to have the option of saying no. Right. And sometimes it might be, you know, look, I really would love to do that. I can see it's important to you, but there's something in me that just is not okay with this for me to do it. And I wish I could give you it, and I just can't. You know, can we find some, is there some way we can talk about some other possibility that I could feel better about? You know, something like that. Then there's a search to find a way that you feel good. Because, see, this is ultimately what a healthy relationship is. It's when we see our differences as desirable and our grief is necessary. So that if we aren't able to find a solution that, that respects both of our differences, then we can just go ahead and grieve about the fact that we're just going to miss each other on this situ- in this situation. And, and then we need to learn to be okay if that person isn't okay with your decision. Well, here, that's the big thing here, is how do you remain okay when someone's not okay with you? That's hard. That's the heart of emotional sobriety, if you are doing that and it's real, then you have a degree of emotional sobriety. Now, what does this autonomy sound like? What does it look like? Well, let me tell you how Dr. Brandon defines that. He says, to live by one's own mind does not mean that we do not learn from others. It means that we do not attempt to live by unthinking conformity and the suspension of our own critical judgment. We take responsibility for the ideas we accept, for the choices we make, for the actions that we take, and for the values by which we guide our behaviors. 
That's what it means to be an autonomous individual. What I would say is that if you are operating with autonomy, you have emotional sobriety. Mm. You cannot have emotional sobriety without having autonomy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, there's there's people listening right now that are that – are, uh, I'm going to pick on them. I'm going to pick on the Alanons out there. Uh, this isn't from Dr. Berger. This is just from the Monty Man. There's a lot of you folks out there that are going, I really like this. Because when my husband says pass the salt, I say, I'm not going to do that. I'm independent. I'm not going to do that. You know, that's being codependent to you. Um, there are people that, and there always is, going to be people that are going to take this stuff and twist it to fit their, their thing. But this isn't the kind of thing you're talking about. You're not talking about blowing somebody off um, so you can boast in your autonomy. Yes, that's right. And when, like I said, is when I have my autonomy, it does not mean that I erase you. It means I consider you, but I consider me at the same time. We're going to be talking about what is a healthy relationship, and Martin Buber gives a great example for that. We won't go too much into it because I want to spend a whole show on this, but he talks about the value of an I-to-thou relationship, and that that is the ultimate relationship, an I-to-thou relationship. Well, you cannot have an I-to-thou relationship without having autonomy. Emotional dependency destroys the possibility of an I-to-thou relationship. And this is something I talk a lot about in my new book on the 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends. In fact, I, I want to mention a special promo that Hazleton is going to be offering in September on my books. Um, all three of my books will be available for a 20% discount. Hey, what a yeah. deal. So if they go to Hazleton and buy those three books and put in the code BURGER20, they will get 20% off on those books, and they are a great buy at 20% off. Okay, so they need to type in Burger 20. 20 on when they're checking out or where it says promo code, go to the Hazleton Bookstore website and uh, pick up my books, 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery, 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone, and that's all about emotional sobriety and what we've been talking about. And finally, my new book, which just came out here in June, 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends, and it's about steps 8, 9, and 10. Finding forgiveness and self-respect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great book. And folks, uh, I, I really encourage you. These are really easy reads. They're not huge. Uh, you know, they're not so big that they're going to choke a mule. Uh, you you can get, I mean, I've read some books like that, right? I mean, in college. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 really just great stuff. The, the The diagrams in here uh, make total sense. Uh, you know, I, I started out with your um, – the way I got to know you uh, was through some of your, your CDs. And huh. then I read uh, 12 Stupid Things, you know. And, and of right. course, what I wanted to do, I wanted to write a book called 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up uh, Recovery and uh, just write 12 people's names down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good, buddy. That, I love that. Because I was still still emotionally hooked. <laughs> that is terrific. Oh, that wow. Is very funny. Wow. Very funny. So let me let me ask you this uh, as we draw near to the end of, the, uh, of this week's show. 
and there and I've I've kind of touched on this before when we've talked, and but I, I it bears repeating. I believe it does. There is a mentality within our twelve step support fellowships many times that you're supposed to stay sick. You know, I like what Dick B says. He says, "When did we go from keep it simple to keep them sick?" And uh, it's almost like if if you even suggest that you're having a good day, that you're doing something right, that you actually are responsible now, that you're taking ownership and that your life is improving, they don't want to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying every meeting's like that because they're not. But more times, I I don't get it. I, I mean, you know, why we work so hard just to stay ill. You're making a fantastic point, and and I've seen this. You know, it's funny. I was, uh, and I don't think this was my ego, but I was, I was just talking about twelve stupid things, and I mentioned on Facebook one day that, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm very proud of the fact that this book has become, uh, you know, a staple in many people's right. And, you know, there's over 40, I think 45 or 46 reviews on Amazon. And the majority of these are saying that, you know, this is an outstanding resource for them. And I'm just saying, you know, what what a gift God has given me to be able to write this book and to be able to share it. And I'm, I'm so, you know, proud of the fact that it, it's doing what it's doing. It's helping so many people. Well, somebody comes back and says, well, God, you got to really get your ego in check. <laughs> I write back and I say, look, you know, I hope that this is not my ego speaking, but what's wrong with us being able to feel good about what we're doing? Sure. I mean, there was a lot of times when I did a lot of things that I didn't feel very good about. And how come we can't support each other in each other's victories? And I think the reason behind that is, is we get stuck with the mentality that if you become more, it makes me less. And it's yeah. so ridiculous. It turns into so much competitive nonsense. I mean, I, you know, people like Dan Griffin, I love his work. I think about things a little differently than Dan. I support him 100%. Sure. I want him to be very successful. I love your work. You and I are different. You're very much a faith-based in, in your 12-step recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm more into the psychological side of this, but sure. I respect you tremendously. And likewise. You are in what you do, Monty. And, uh, you know, where else can you get a Jew and a Christian together like that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. let, me, let me tell you, you can get them together and take 12 radio any day of the week. I'll tell you that. You, that right on. <laughs> but see, that, but see that's, that's the program working for us, is that we can ex- respect our differences and not demand the other person to, to be that way. That's right. So, so it's just a wonderful thing. Um, so listen, great show tonight. I yeah. love you, man. And uh, we'll see everybody with our guest in two weeks, Shara Goldberg. All right, Shara Goldberg uh, in a couple of weeks, folks. You don't want, don't want to miss that. Remember, you can rewind this thing, download it to your hard drive, smartphone. We're all over the place. Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Google+. Uh, you look anywhere, and the Jew and the Christian are talking to each other about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Dr. Allen Berger. And uh, grab some self-esteem. It's good for you. It's not bad for you. It's a good thing. You are a worthwhile person, and we are glad that you have tuned in. Until next time, God bless.
This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. Everybody, we sincerely hope that you have been enjoying and being able to apply and implement some of the principles being taught on these broadcasts here at Take 12 Recovery Radio, specifically the step-by-step toward emotional sobriety series with our friend Dr. Alan Berger. Listen, to take advantage of all of our shows and subscribe for fun and for free, uh, simply visit us at take12radio.com and click on any of the major podcasting platforms. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, Stitcher, Player FM, or Google Podcasts, as well as literally hundreds of other podcasting platforms that you may or may not be aware of. We're available on all of them. Simply visit your favorite platform and search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. And always for fun and for free. Until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man, and I'm wishing God's perfect serenity for you.